our series through the book of James, and so we have made it all the way to chapter 4. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in James chapter 4 and verse number 1 in just a few minutes. Uh, there is, uh, in between Argentina and Chile, stands a huge statue of Christ. It's called the Christ, Christ of the Andes. You might be familiar with it. You know, it's in the mountain range, and it's this huge, huge statue of Jesus with his arms spread out wide like this. And that statue was put there for a very interesting reason. It was put there to signify that there would be peace between Argentina and Chile as long as that statue was standing there. Now, it's a great sentiment. It's a great story. But what's interesting to know about that story is that it didn't take long until there was a disagreement about the statue. And uh, the, the disagreement came about because the people who lived in Chile were upset because they said, well, Jesus' back is to Chile, and he's facing Argentina. And so they got upset. They said, he's looking over them and not us. And so there was a brouhaha that was kind of breaking out. And so uh, finally there was a journalist from Chile who, who came up with a really good little story to kind of smooth things over. And he said, well, the reason why it's that way is because Jesus needs to look over Argentina more than Chile. And so that just, sort of, that just sort of soothed everybody and smoothed everything out. Now, from a story like that, I, I've really come to this conclusion. I really believe that in general, people like to fight. I really believe that. I think people, I mean, people like to fight. Now, some of you sitting there going, that is absolutely not true. I don't enjoy fighting. You know, I, I like it when there's peace. I don't like conflict. And I agree, I agree that many of you feel that way. I mean, I feel the same way. But we feel that way as long as everybody else agrees with us. And you know, but it's when people don't agree with us that then we, then we want to fight. Am I right? Ladies, is that true about your husbands? Yeah, and husbands, and we know it's true about our wives, right? And so we know all that stuff. And so whenever, when things are going our way, we like peace, but when people don't agree with us, it's then that we like to fight. And I'm not just talking about y'all. I know that's true for y'all. Y'all are a bunch of sinners. But it's true for me as well. Uh, I, I remember when Emily and I were dating, and, and uh, we were, you know, this is, we were playing, we were playing PlayStation, I mean, PlayStation 2 or something. And, you know, this is during the days when, you know, before you get married, when your spouse likes to, to do things with you, then you get married and it's over. You know, I mean, it's like uh, Emily loved baseball, and then we got married, and all of a sudden she quits watching games. So anyway, so we're playing PlayStation. So we're sitting there, and she's got this uh, controller, and I've got a bad one. You know, and she's killing me, and it's driving me nuts. I'm, this stupid thing's broken. So I, I'm getting angry, and I'm like, you're going to switch with me because it's not fair. And so, and, and it's kind of funny, except for I was being serious. You know, and so we switched, and I started winning. I felt good. Now, the, the, I, now, I have no idea why she ever married me. But, you know, when things are going my way, I like peace. But when they're not going my way, then I bow up, and I'm ready to fight. It, it, it's, it's always been true. Uh, man forever has been seeking peace. And we've been seeking peace in our homes. We've been seeking peace on a, on a, you know, on a national scale. And so we come, up with, we come up with peace treaties, and we come up with promises, and then inevitably, what happens? We break them. You know, we break our promises, we break our peace treaties, and we end up fighting all the time. And so the question is, is there, is there any time or is there any opportunity 
for us to experience peace, you know, peace on a national scale, or peace even just in our homes, or peace in our lives. And what's interesting is today in our passage of scriptures, we're going to see James pointing out that people that were living in his day are just like us. They had conflicts. They had things that they were dealing with, and they were seeking for peace. And so James points out to, the, out to them the conflicts that they had in their lives. And then at the end, he points out to them how to find victory and how to find peace in the midst of those conflicts or through those conflicts. And so we're going to look in James chapter 4 and the first 12 verses in just a few moments. I'll, I'll remind you that when James wrote this, I know I've said this over and over again, but when he wrote this, he was writing to a group of Christians who were living all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. And they were spread out because they had undergone persecution because of, because of their faith. And so they moved into these new areas trying to survive. And, of course, whenever you go into a new area, you're an outsider. And so if you don't want to be an outsider, one of the best things that you can do is try to fit in, right? Try to fit in with everybody else. And so people are trying to fit in. And so some of them are trying to fit in by taking on the values of the people they lived with, by taking on their religion. And James writes them, like, don't do that. Hang on to your faith. Hang on to your trust in Jesus. And what he was seeing with the people is that in the midst of them trying to fit in, there's these conflicts that start popping up. And, and, and it's the same conflicts we have today. And so very briefly, I just want to point out to you a few of the conflicts that the people in our text were facing, the same kind of conflicts we face today. And then how do we deal with it? So very first, first kind of conflict that we deal with is there's conflicts with others. In life, what you're going to discover is that there's going to be times when you just don't get along with other people. Now, look with me back in verse number 1. It says, what is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? And then if you pop down to verse, let's see, verse 11. It says, don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who's able to save you and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I know for me that I enjoy driving when nobody else is on the road. Y'all ever feel that way? You know, when nobody else is on the road, you know, you can drive along and it's peaceful. You, know, you can enjoy the scenery. You don't have to pay attention to what's around you. It's just nice and relaxing. You can turn on the radio, enjoy the music. But then when, when people, you know, so when traffic begins to build up, have you noticed how you kind of change when you're driving? Yeah, any of y'all ever drive through Atlanta? Isn't it great? You know, you're kind of driving through. You go through, a, there's that place between Augusta and Atlanta where there's nothing, right? And it's just the boringest drive, but you can kind of relax there. Then you start getting into Atlanta. And I know for me, when I start getting into Atlanta, I can just feel myself tensing up before I even get there. And the reason why is because I know as soon as I start getting in the outskirts of Atlanta that there's a bunch of the moronic people who think they know how to drive and they don't. And so the more and more people that get around me, you know, I don't enjoy the drive anymore. I'm starting to look out for, for that person who's made it a mission to aggravate me and try to run me off the road. And so things just get very messy with the more and more people that there is. And you think that the easy answer for all of that would be just to make sure that you don't ever have relationships, right? That you never get around people, and if you do that, then life's going to be absolute bliss. 
Uh, but in a little bit, I'm going to share with you that it's also possible to have conflict with just yourself. But, you know, for, for Christians, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have this problem, should we? If you are a follower of Jesus, you should not have the problem of having conflict with others. And yet, if we're honest, we all know that's not true. If we're honest, we all know that just because we're believers does not mean that we don't experience conflict with other people. We do. As a matter of fact, if you look in our text in verse number 1, James is real open. He says, hey guys, in your lives I see conflict. He says, I see war. I see conflict. That, that word conflict that's mentioned in our text is speaking of violence. So when, when James is talking about conflict among Christians here, he's not talking about some little pity-patty Christian argument. The people are fighting each other. I mean, he says you are at war with each other. Now that obviously is not a good thing. Now you can look at that and say, does this happen often in the Bible? It's, you look in the Bible, you find out that there are people all throughout Scripture, they are always fighting. You know, in James, the book of James, I mean, James chapter 2 he talks about some quarrels and fighting that was going on between, uh, between the people. James 5, he talks about workplace fighting. The disciples, they even fought amongst each other. They were fighting about, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And so you go through the scripture and you say, man, the norm seems to be that we fight. It is the norm. It is, it is the norm in life to have conflict but it's not to be the norm for believers. As followers of Jesus, it is not to be the norm in our lives to be at odds with people all the time, fighting, having infighting all the time. Now, why is that? Because when you've been touched by Jesus and you submit yourself to him, he changes your life. He makes you different. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples by the what? Can you all read? What does it say? Yeah, love. Richland too, come on. Yeah, by the love you have for one another. It doesn't say, you know, people know that you're my disciples by how bunch of big a, how big a jerks you are. That, that's not, it does not mean to be a Christian to be a jerk. Jesus said, people will know that you follow me because you love people. Uh, we're also told in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for our God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God of peace. And so a sign that you belong to God is that you're going to be a person who has love for others, and who has a nature of peace. It's a sign that we belong to him. Now, when I see that, I'm convicted. I'm even more convicted when I look in verses 11 and 12, and he says that we're not to be judgmental or slander one another. Uh, when he speaks of slander, he's talking about saying things that are derogatory towards other people, saying untruths about other people in order to tear them down. Now, I see those things, and I become convicted. I really believe one of the greatest detriments to our faith is whenever believers use their speech to tear people down, to assassinate characters, somebody's uh, character. Uh, there's a, a saying attributed to Gandhi that says, he says, I, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. He says, your Christians look nothing like your Christ. Now, Obviously, that is an absolutely horrible testimony. And we need to remember that when we are followers of Jesus, we are a part of the body of Christ. And if we are a part of the body of Christ and it's going to be healthy, then we have to love and support one another. Because when the body doesn't work together, 
the body doesn't function correctly. Uh, I read an article a few months ago about autoimmune diseases, and I know there's some of you who are in the medical field, and I'm sure that after it's over, you're going to come and correct me, so that's fine. I'm going to try to do the best I can with my limited brain about science, which I'm terrible in science. But here's the deal, uh, or here's what I'm going to say anyway. Uh, there's a plethora of autoimmune diseases out there. And from what I understand is that uh, in your body, that those autoimmune diseases, what's happening is there's like an inflammation that on the in, on, in your system. I don't know what part of your system, but just on the inside of your body is inflammation. And it happens because there's maybe some, some things that you're putting into your body that aren't good for it. You know, maybe some people say it could be processed foods or toxins, whatever it might be. Now, whenever that happens, we have these, I think they're like T-cells that are supposed to come and, and kind of help bring down that inflammation. But what can happen is your T-cells can actually turn against your body. And they begin to attack good things in your body. And so whenever the body begins to war against itself, then what happens is the body begins to break down. And it doesn't function correctly. Well, th that is what James is talking about. There's an inflammation in our system that he's talking about, and it's fighting. He said, when we fight with each other, we end up destroying the body of Christ. We end up destroying our testimony with Jesus. Now, I think everybody in here is going to say, I want to be healthy. You know, I want, I want to be, you know, what's uh, Duck Dynasty? I want to be happy, happy, happy. I mean, people say that. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. You know, there's so many of us that, that hang on to bitterness and anger. And we will not let go of it because somebody's wronged us. Now, why would we do that? You know, and I can sit up here and say that. Why would people do that? I do it. Well, now, why do I do that? Here's, and this is what I believe. Because you know what? This is so stupid. But because it feels good. It feels good. When somebody's wronged me, it feels good for me to be angry. When I feel like I've been slighted, it feels good to me to be bitter. Now, just because something feels good, is it always good for me to do it? Well, no, absolutely not. I mean, you can apply it to, I mean, think about food. You know what feels good to me when it comes to eating? Going back there and just sticking my face in that plate of donuts, you know, and just absolutely wiping it out. Now, that sounds, that feels good to me. Now, I, I don't feel so good afterwards. You know, it feels good to me, but it is not good for my body. It is not good for your body. So just because something feels good, doesn't mean that you need to act on it. That's why the, the Bible teaches us that when we become followers of Jesus, we die to ourselves. We die to me, to you. And say, so I'm, no, I'm no longer going after what I want, but Lord, I die to me, and now I live for you. Why would we want to live for Jesus? Because Je Jesus' way leads to life. That's what the Bible says. It says in Romans 8, 12 through 14, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature. To live according to it. For you, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. Now, how do we put an end to conflict with other people? Well, instead of, instead of allowing your natural instincts to take charge, you come to God in prayer and say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus, not how I choose to live but how you choose for me to live, because now I belong to you. I belong to you. It's submission to Jesus. James 1.19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, when I put God's word ahead of my own word, I really I don't tend to get us in much trouble. 
when I put God's word ahead of my word. So what kind of conflicts do we have? We have conflicts with others. Everybody in here, at some point you're going to have a conflict with other people. But this one's interesting to me. We can also have conflict with ourselves. And you can, we can fight it. If, if we like to fight so much, we can fight with ourselves. Now look with me in uh, verses 1 again, 1 through 3. It says, what's the source of wars and fights among you? They come from your cravings that are at war within you. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. Now, every once in a while, I think I could have a problem-free life if I never had to interact with people. And I think, I, I think some of you feel the same way. If I, just, if I didn't have to be around that guy... Life, I, if I was just around myself, I would be, it would be perfect. Guys, that, that is not true. And let me tell you why it's not true. It's not true because you and I are not as pure as we think. I think sometimes we think life would be bliss if it was just me. It would be bliss if you were perfect. But you're not. I, I, I was reminded of this a few months ago. I read through the book of Genesis again. And you get to the very beginning of the book. You read about Adam and Eve. And you know, Adam and Eve, they had it great. Adam and Eve, you remember where they lived? Yeah, that's right. The Garden of Eden. It was perfect. Everything. Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. They had a perfect relationship with God. So everything's perfect. And yet, even though it was perfect, they still messed up. Isn't that crazy? Why did they do that? Because deep inside, we were selfish. Deep inside, we want what we want more than anything else. And let me tell you something. If Adam and Eve in those circumstances were selfish, well, we don't stand a chance, y'all. In our environment, the Bible tells us very clearly, Ephesians 2, 3, it says we are by objects, na- uh, we are by nature objects of God's wrath. We defy God in our nature. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Now, I don't ascribe, I really don't, I don't ascribe to the doctrine that man is basically good. I don't, I don't buy it. Now, I'm not saying that everybody here is a, you know, a born murderer. I'm not saying that. But in our nature, we are at, we are at war with God. We, we, are, we have a conflicting nature with God. Yeah, I, I began to believe that more and more because of children. Now, everybody loves kids. We all love kids, right? Kids are evil. You know, I mean, I, now I love my kids. But I remember, we, you, you did not, you did not, I mean, there's some stuff that we'd see our kids do, and I'd go, we didn't, uh, that's not because of me. You know, they did that on their own. And I'm talking from like six months old. You know, kids are selfish naturally. I like kids. I'm not saying anything bad. Uh, but, you know, the, the third thing, you don't teach your kids to be selfish, do you? You know, from an early age, our kids would see somebody playing with a toy that they, that they didn't have their hands on, and they, would, and they went nuts. That's mine. I didn't, that's probably the first word before mom and dad. It's mine, right? So they're screaming it out, and they're ready. They are going to war to get what they want. That's kids. And so what you have to do is, a parent, we have, to, we have to step in and to discipline them. Well, James points out that we are naturally selfish like this. Back in verse 2, he says, you want something and you don't get it. So what do we do? He says, you fight. You go to war. And we, we, sometimes we try to mask it spiritually by praying for Jesus to give it to us. Now, guys, Jesus isn't our, he's not our genie. 
You know, we, we, don't, we don't call out to him saying, give me this, God, and extend he's going to do it. We, no, we can, it's not, there's nothing wrong with asking God to do things for us. It's just that we wait for his answer, and then whatever answer he gives us, we submit ourselves to it. And say, God, I'm going to follow what you told me, because I believe your way is the best way. God's not looking to make life miserable for us. He wants the best for you and me. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, when God's talking to the Hebrew people, and they're in, I believe they're in captivity at this point, or getting ready to go into it, and then God tells them this good news. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has the best in mind for you. And yet, we struggle with trusting him. And why is that? Because we want our way. When God's, when God's way is the best. Now, I've learned that whenever we are at war with ourselves and we, we are trying to get what we want, guys, we, we never end up satisfied. We never end up in that happy place. Instead of being grateful for what we do have, we tend to gripe about what we don't have. There's a story about two, two men, two buddies went out to eat, and they, they both ordered filet of sole, and when the waiter brought it out, it was the, the two pieces of fish were on the same platter, and so one buddy served the other one, and uh, one of the pieces of fish was just a little bit bigger than the other one. And so he put his fork into it, and he put the smaller piece on his buddy's plate, and he kept the bigger, the little bit bigger piece for himself. And his friend saw that, and he got a little offended. He said, well, that worked out well for you. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you gave yourself the bigger piece of fish. And the guy looked at him and he goes, well, what would you have done? And he said, well, if it was me, he said, I would have given you the bigger piece of fish, and I would have kept the smaller piece for myself. And his friend just looked at him and smiled and said, well, it worked out the way you wanted it to. <laughs> now, you know, whenever, whenever, we are, whenever we are selfish, man, we are never satisfied. Living for self, will not, it, won't, it won't please you. Living for your rights and your wants are not going to satisfy and fill your life. You're going to always, you, you will never be satisfied if you live that way. See, so we have conflict with others. We have conflict with ourselves. And here's the last one, all, all these different types of conflicts. We have conflict with God as well. And in verse, verse 4, it's interesting. He says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes, becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit he has caused to live in us yearns jealousy but he gives us greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning, and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, James very clearly points out how we can be in conflict with God. And we are in conflict with God whenever we love the things of the world. And he said, well, what's wrong with the things of this world? I mean, there's some good things in this world. It's not about the, the basic nature of the world, the values of the world. And a lot of times the values of the, the, values of the world are very different than what God teaches us. Uh, the values of the world, one of the things it does is it tells us, it says, hey, if you want to be in first place, if you want to succeed, there's going to be times... When you need to run people over and just smash them into the ground, you know, so that you can get where you want to go. Another thing that the world teaches us that feels good, you do it. I mean, it's, it's your life, it's your body, you get to choose. It's you. You don't belong to anybody. 
Now, that's contrary to Scripture. Now, if it feels good, then you do it. Now, that's not, that's not what's to happen with a follower of Jesus. The Bible says a follower of Jesus, if you love the world, then you are an enemy of God. As a matter of fact, did you know that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, did you know that you are married? In essence, you are married to God? You have a relationship with him like that. Um, in Romans 7, 4, it says, My brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear the fruit of God. Now that phrase, that we belong to another, speaking of us belonging to God now, that is a marriage phrase. You are married to God when you submit yourself to him. Now, if you're married to God, and yet you're still playing around with the things of the world, you know what you're doing? You are committing spiritual adultery, which is why James said, you adulteresses. As we, we can't love God and hang on to the things of this world and think the relationship's going to be good. Think about it in marriage. Uh, if you are married, and yet you're dating somebody else, is that going to make for a happy home? You know, if you, if you say, honey, I'll be home later. I've got a date tonight with a lady down the street or vice versa, there's going to be problems there. Now, what, what is the cause? What happens with infidelity? I can tell you what happens with infidelity. There's broken trust. There's anger. There's bitterness. There's destroyed homes. There's busted relationships. All these different things. And if that marriage is going to be restored, then there has to be a partner who says, I am going to, I'm going to allow God to work in me to bring healing into the situation. Now, the neat thing is that God loves us, and everybody in this room today has been unfaithful to God. We've all committed spiritual adultery. Now, the reason why we have a chance for restoration is because God, even in the midst of our brokenness and unfaithfulness, chooses to love us anyway. In Romans 5, 8, it very clearly tells us God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, or you could put cheaters, it says Christ died for us. He wants to be restored to us. Now, we have a responsibility as well. What's that responsibility? If you look in verse number 7, he says, submit to God. Now, that word submit is a military term. It means to get into your proper rank. Uh, the idea, it's a military term. It would, if, if a private comes up to a general and begins to order him around, is that going to happen? No, what's going to happen? The private is probably going to wish he was never born. We need to get into our proper rank. Now, many of us as privates, spiritually, are going to God, who is our general, and we're telling him what to do. It's not the way it works. In the military, he's over us. And so he gives us direction and tells us what we are supposed to do. Now, if we ignore that, guys, we're giving, we're giving Satan a foothold in our life, and he will destroy our relationship with Jesus. Now, what are we supposed to do? It's just... Very simply, he says, resist the devil. Resist the temptations of this world. And according to our text, what happens? It says, the devil will flee. You have conflicts. You have temptations to lash out at others. Where you are angry and you want to get your pound of flesh. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will run away from you. Now, Christians, we no longer have the excuse. We can't say, devil made me do it. That guy really ticked me off. He deserved it. He had it coming. We can't use that excuse. When the power of Jesus is inside of you and you follow him, he gives you victory over the power of Satan. 
That's why the Bible says, draw near to God. You draw near to Him. What is, you know what God does? He draws near to you. Now, what's the result? Philippians 4, 6-9 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody in this room has conflicts. You're going to have conflicts with others, conflicts with yourself, and you're going to have conflict with God. Here's the thing. How are you going to deal with it? What what are you going to do? James gives us the answer as to what to do. He says, resist the devil. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the power to resist because the power of the Holy Spirit is within you. And you can turn away from Now, if you do that, the Bible says the devil will flee from you draw near to God, then God will draw near to you and give you strength and power. Now, here's the deal. Are you putting yourself in an environment where you are able to draw near to God? You know, it's real hard to draw near to God in the midst of a fight. You know, it's it's real hard to draw near to God if you are hanging out, putting yourself in situations or environments that are not God-honoring, Christ-honoring. That's why I think the church is so important. That's why I think our V group ministry is so important. There are environments where we come together and we look at God's word to see what God has to, has to say to us so that we can begin to apply it to our lives. Are you putting yourself in a situation where you are drawing or able to draw near to God? Now, for some of you, it's time to submit yourself to God. I think some of us, we've gotten out of whack. We're privates telling God what to do. Guys, that is crazy. Whenever you follow Jesus, you die to yourself. And now you belong to God. We're told in 1 Corinthians that we no longer belong to ourselves. We've been bought at a price. Let's remember our place. We follow Jesus. As we follow Jesus, he's going to stay true to his word. Now you might say, I don't, I struggle with that. Hey, so do I. I. My favorite story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the guy that comes to Jesus, needs healing, son needs healing, and he says... Uh, the Lord says, do you have faith? He said, I, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. That's me. I believe, but help my unbelief. Some of you say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just a mustard seed of faith. Let's just trust God and see what he does.